This is KOOP HD1 HD3 Hornsby. The following was home crafted and recorded on September 22nd and 23rd. Austin Chronicle show. My name is Kim Jones and I am the editor of the Austin Chronicle, Austin's independent source of news and culture reporting since 1981. In the first half of the show, we're going to be talking about redistricting and what a profound impact that can have on us as citizens in terms of who's representing us and how resources are allocated. But before we get into that, just a quick reminder that this is fall membership drive time at co-op. If you care about independent, community-based broadcasting, please call now, 512-472-5667. That's 512-472-KOOP. Co-op DJs and other volunteers are standing by right now to take your call. Or you could always go to the website, koop.org, and click the donate button. All right, I'd like to welcome my first guest today, and that is Austin Chronicle News Editor Mike Clark-Madison. So, Mike, you wrote about redistricting in this week's issue, which is on stands now. Lots of maps, lots of analysis. Why don't we start with you explaining what does redistricting mean and why are we talking about it right now? As you know, we do a census every 10 years that counts up everybody in the country. And in the Constitution, it says that every person in the country gets representation and that is apportioned among the several states. And then the Supreme Court has said that every person of the principle of one person, one vote needs to be represented in districts that are basically equal in size. And then there's also a second line of Supreme Court jurisprudence, which was the Voting Rights Act, that says that minority communities, communities of color, should have the opportunity to elect candidates of their choice. So all of these rules are in effect. And so since every 10 years we do the census, the population of districts changes, the numbers of white, black, Latino, Asian voters in each district changes. So you have to redraw them. This is an opportunity, as I think has become widely understood now, for partisan advantage that whichever team is drawing the lines is going to draw them in a way that advantages their team. For years and years and years in Texas, that was the Democrats, up through the 1991 round of redistricting. And then it became the Republicans, who famously took over and re-redistricted in 2003 off schedule under Tom DeLay's leadership so that they could pick up four seats in Texas for the Republicans, which helped maintain their uh, majority in Congress for a while. So those are the sorts of things that are at play. It's a bitter partisan battle. It's also a bitter battle between incumbents who want to hold on to their seats and other interests who want to make sure that different communities get a chance to be represented. So our listeners understand it's the person who controls the map making. In this case, it's Republicans in Texas, and they're sort of contorting the pieces of the map to create sort of these artificial boundaries in order to do one of two things, as I understand it, either to pack as many Democratic voters into a section 
or to diffuse them so that their voting power no longer exists. Right. That's known as packing and cracking. The term gerrymander is probably familiar to a lot of people, and that mostly since the early days of the Republic refers to oddly shaped districts that are drawn to achieve this kind of political end. But yes, the object of the game right now for Texas for Republicans is to pack and crack Democratic voters in such a way as to maintain the most possible Republican, safe Republican districts. That has been difficult in Texas for 20 years already, and is continuing to be difficult because the state is growing really fast, as everyone knows, and we are adding two congressional seats as a result. 95% of that growth has been among Texans of color, and Texans of color tend to vote for Democrats. So in order to pack and crack people in communities so that the Democrats stay with the same number of seats they have now, requires ignoring that 3 million people moved to the state. You have to figure out a way to not represent (laughs) effectively by drawing these maps. Yeah, it's a hard job to try to subvert. It's a hard job to like deny people their civil rights. Are there rules against this sort of thing? There used to be more rules than there are now. Famously, the Voting Rights Act was kind of not repealed, but a lot of the teeth were taken out of it by the Supreme Court in 2013 in the Shelby County versus Holder decision out of Alabama, and then just earlier this year in the Brnovich decision out of Arizona both of which mean that, yes, you can sue and say that a district has been drawn in a way so that African-American or Latino or Asian voters do not have the opportunity to pick a candidate of their choice. But that suit will have to wend its way through the courts. There is no pre-clearance anymore where the Justice Department can say, no, you just can't do that before it happens. And by the time these court cases are resolved, we may be two or three cycles into using these maps, we'd be halfway through the decade. So it's pretty grim in those places where partisan control is like it is in Texas, whether it's Republican or from the perspective of Republicans, New York is the same for them. They will always be at a disadvantage. We should point out this is an equal opportunity. Yes. Funny business. Whoever is the ruling party takes yes. part in this sort of what you, I thought, brilliantly referred to as the gerrymandering dark arts. Yes. Uh, in your feature this week. Situate us where we are right now, because this is what the Texas legislature in its third special session. Third special session. That is what they are tackling right now, right? Right. So the ledge has to draw four sets of maps. The congressional map, which changes every 10 years based on population, so they can add two seats. But each of those districts needs to be exactly, and we mean exactly, like by one or two, the same size, 766,000 something. They also have to draw the maps for the two chambers of the legislature. The Senate map, which has already been released and we analyzed in this week's issue, has only 31 seats. So those are larger than congressional districts. They're almost a million people, but there are no rules of any kind over how they are drawn. 
geographically or demographically, and they can be within a range of 10% between the largest and smallest district. That is the easiest place to gerrymander. And that is exactly what the Senate map does, that it takes the opportunity to make sure that all of the new Texans that we talked about are either packed into districts that are now 70, 80, 90% non-Anglo, or are cracked among a whole bunch of different districts. Fort Bend County has now been split up in very exciting ways between several different Republicans because it is the fastest growing county in the state and it is hugely becoming a majority minority county. There's a very large Asian population and Democrats are doing very well there at the local level. And so the Republican map drawers want to make sure that that doesn't translate into more Democrats in Dan Patrick's Senate. Same thing happened in redrawing the districts around here where the one that used to be in Western Travis County that was represented by Don Buckingham from Lakeway is by all accounts due to be represented by former city council member Ellen Troxclair, who has already announced her campaign for that seat. Well, they drew the new map and it doesn't actually include Ellen Troxclair's house or any part of Travis County because they wanted to make sure that they could take all of the fast-growing Black and Latino population of Bell County, Fort Hood, and put them in a district where they couldn't make a difference. So they've drawn this new District 24. And all of the Travis County Democrats have been packed into one district, except for Latino voters in the Southeast, who are represented still by Judith Zaffarini from Laredo. So, now, Judith Zaffarini is a very good senator and people like her, but typically you don't want to be represented by someone from Laredo if you're on, like, the South Shore of Town Lake. Sure, it's a bit of a trip to get there. 300 miles. So, that map is out. The House map, which has 150 seats, has a higher degree of difficulty because the state constitution includes something that's called the county line rule which says that any district has to either be wholly located within a county or contain a whole county. So Travis County has six districts located within it. It will probably have seven after this is done. There will probably be a new district in Williamson and in Hayes County as well. And so drawing those districts so that they can be Republican district is going to be a challenge because Democrats have, like, been very successful in these counties, but that's how the game is played. Those seats have to come from somewhere. Rural Texas, the border, which didn't grow as fast as the rest of the state. So there's a lot of like fighting over who's going to lose a seat that has to now be moved into a place like Austin. So all of that madness is going on at the legislature, and it's very partisan. It's very ugly. They also draw State Board of Education districts, which are kind of boring this year. Locally, in reaction to that, way back in 2012, when we adopted the 10-1 system, they adopted this very elaborate process for an independent redistricting commission. And that's kind of like the best practice that everybody wants to move to nationally. In some states have it. But here, because it's a nonpartisan election, in order to set it up so that you didn't have the kind of partisan advantages that There are a lot of rules that keep anybody who actually participates in politics or does any kind of business with the city from being involved in the process. So these are 
what I called in, in print this week, extraordinary citizens, because it's a heck of a lot of work for somebody who has literally no stake in it except good citizenship. And they've released their maps. They're mostly based on the ones we have. Each district has grown by about 20,000 people since the first 10-1 map was drawn in 2013. And in order to equalize them, you see a lot of kind of subtle shifting of people from west to east. Yeah, but most people had to move out of District 6, which is Williamson County, where Mackenzie Kelly is. Most people had to move into Greg Kassar's district, so they've been moving neighborhoods over. But that seems to have been done without much controversy. That's going to be a long process, so... November 1st is when that map has to be adopted. Mike, we could go on for this for a long time, but we have run out of time. So thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm sure we'll see you again soon. Okay. You know, so much of what we do at The Chronicle, both at the newspaper and on this show, is we try to take complex and sometimes boring, but very important issues, such as redistricting, and make them more understandable. If you're informed, you're empowered. That's our thinking, at least. And that's something that I think the folks at Community Radio believe in, too. But they can't do that without all of our help. So if you rely on co-op radio to keep you informed and entertained, to turn you on to new music or to new movies and new perspectives, then please consider donating now to co-op's fall membership drive. You can either be a one-time donor or you can become a sustaining member today. Just set it and forget it. For a one-time $100 donation or $15 a month pledge, you get a t-shirt. For a one-time $175 pledge or a $25 a month sustaining pledge, then you get the same t-shirt and you get a flash drive. And for $325 one-time pledge or a $50 monthly pledge, you get the t-shirt, you get the flash drive, and you get a Yeti 20-ounce tumbler. Call right now at 512-472-5667. That's 512-472-KOOP. Or you can just go to the website. That's koop.org and click the donate button. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Austin Chronicle Show on Co-op Community Radio. We have been listening to Sick of You by the band Guar, heavy metal legends who are the subject of a new documentary having its world premiere at this weekend's Fantastic Fest. I've asked our newly minted culture editor, Richard Whitaker, to come on the show and talk about what is also happening at Fantastic Fest. So, Richard, thank you for joining me. Oh, absolute pleasure as always, Kim. So last year, pandemic year one, a lot of film festivals, including Fantastic Fest, pivoted to virtual only. Would you say that this year has been a more challenging one for festivals to figure out? I actually think it has because last year it was simply go virtual. That was it. This year, everybody's trying to work out, well, we really want to go back in person. And that's challenging to begin with. Fantastic Fest originally planned it was going to just be in person and they were going to require vaccinations, no excuses, no apologies. That was it. Well, this is Texas. So plans were changed because, and we, you know, let's, let's be honest, because of Greg Abbott, who uh, said that you can't have that kind of requirement for your festivals or for any kind of event. So they've had to shift to a ticketed event. Yet again, badges purchased by badge holders were rolled over to next year. Well, the good thing for local Austinites is this means you've actually got a really good chance of trying to get a ticket if you could get into the queue early enough. 
Most things are already sold out, but there are still a few screenings with still a few really interesting films with tickets available, which you could just purchase like a regular film ticket, like you were going to the cinema any day of the week. There's also going to be a virtual festival starting on October 1st with 30 of the best titles from this year. Not the big releases, but some really fascinating stuff, plus some fantastic fest classics from years gone by. They've had to adapt. They had no choice. Yeah, they were up against a legal wall and they've done the best they can. Well, I know. I mean, I've had the pleasure of seeing you around the office around Fantastic Fest time every year for many years now. Total kid in candy shop. I yeah. think it's maybe your favorite time of year. How are you sort of, I mean, obviously, this, you know, we want them to do everything they need to do to make it safe. But I know a big part of the festival is the social aspect. What is the Alamo Draft House? Which we should say, Fantastic Fest is an offshoot of the Alamo Draft House, and Fantastic Fest, as you can guess by the name, is fantastic sci-fi horror genre films. How are they trying to recreate or adapt those kind of experiences this year? That's the challenging part for the moment. They've had to, you know, a big part of it is the parties, it's the special events. Some of those are still going on. They're still doing the annual Fantastic Feud. That is a debate on some sort of a yeah. I mean that's a, yeah. It's a deep nerdery, uh, lots of weird questions, and everybody loves that. But that's really pretty much the only one of the regular events that's going on. You know, they can't do the parties, they can't do any of the things they've really normally done, which meant they've had to concentrate on the films. There's fewer screenings per day than normal. But they have managed to do satellite screenings, which is a new thing. I mean, it's traditionally always been just at the Alamo South Lamar. And this year, they've got screenings at Mueller and at uh, Alamo Village. So you don't even have to drive down into the middle of the festival. But yeah, there's a, undoubtedly the sociable aspect of it has taken a hit. You know, people who are coming in to see friends that they catch once a year at Fantastic Fest, it's just not happening this year. A lot of filmmakers aren't coming in, particularly international filmmakers, just because they can't travel. So, yeah, I mean, that aspect has definitely taken a hit. There's no two ways around that. But it's still, if you go for the films and not for the parties, and quite often I'll skip the parties because I know, you know, if there's a big party on, there's fewer people at a screening, so <laughs> it's less crowded and you can get a better seat. So that's kind of, you know, that's, there's a, there's a trade Festival going right there. Oh, those, yeah. Those are the, the tricks of the trade. Let's I will skip free the- pizza for a better seat. You know, that's just my <laughs> thinking, though. Let's talk about the movies. I know limited amount of people can get into these, but we are going to see these pop up in movie theaters, on streaming, on various other ways in the near future. So what are some of your favorite things that you've seen so far? Well, I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but one of the big titles that they got is Titan, which one can is the opening night film. A lot of Oscar buzz about this already, which everybody's excited by that one. It's the director of Raw, which was one of the breakout films from Fantastic Fest a couple of years ago. So everybody's a gog over that one. It's had nothing but rave reviews. And there's equal anticipation of Lamb, which is the new A24 film about an evil sheep, seemingly, <laughs> which Again, terrific excitement about that one. And also on, on the kind of the anticipation scale, a big local connection here is The Black Telephone, which is the new film from C. Robert Cargill and Scott Derrickson, the team behind Doctor Strange and Sinister. 
Cargill is local. He's lived in Austin for decades now, and this will be the world premiere for that. So a lot of people are very excited about that one. That was one of the hot tickets. And also, there's a couple of secret screenings that people are kind of, there's, everybody speculates what they can be, and often everybody's wrong. But you know, they over the years, they've They've been an incredible selection of films that have gone on to be huge successes. I mean, you know, one of the first screenings that there will be blood was at Fantastic Fest as a secret screening. Or it could be anything. It could be a weird archive print. It could be, it honestly could be the next Matrix film. Nobody knows what they're going to be until you get in the room. So, but on the kind of the lower down the pecking order, one of the big ones for anybody who grew up as a film fan in the 80s, is Mad God, which is a stop-motion film by Phil Tippett. And Tippett is an absolute legend in stop-motion. He, if you watch The Empire Strikes Back, Phil Tippett is the man that made the Atats walk across Hoth. And he spent best part of 20 years on this passion project that is strange and surreal and beautiful. And I had the opportunity to talk to him this week I've got a long interview in this week's issue of the Austin Chronicle about putting something together that seems like such a, it's so strange and so dark and so deep, so wonderful. And it's, you know, a great artist to say his masterwork is maybe, you know, is, is a strange term, but it's so deeply personal and weird that that's, that's one of the favorite things I've seen in advance of the festival. Another favorite, a couple of years ago, there was a little film called The Deep You Dig which is by the Adams family, single D, not that one, who literally make home movies. It's a mother, father, and two daughters. And The Deeper You Dig was one of these things that you looked at and went, there's no way this should be as good as it is because they basically don't have any rules about what they do. They're not bound by the studio or by any producer. They just go out and make the films they want to make. And this year they've got their follow-up, Hellbender, which is, again, just this glorious, really free little movie, which is exactly the kind of thing that you want from Fantastic Fest. You want movies that don't abide by rules, that are truly creative in the best possible way. You know, just nobody telling you no. And topping up this segment, we had Guar and Unabashed Metalhead, seen them live a bunch of times. If all you know about Guar is that they're guys who play crazy metal while wearing insane, elaborate costumes, this is Guar, which is the new documentary playing at Fantastic Fest, is absolutely unmissable. It humanizes them, it gives context to them, it shows them as this you know weird art project. It was originally supposed to be a film, and suddenly, back when Guar was first conceived, and now it's this. Grammy-nominated act who've been going for you know 37 years. It's just this beautiful story of underdogs who have taken on the world and somehow become successful almost in spite of themselves. And that's one of two really great music documentaries that are playing. The other, which I've also seen and is fantastic, is Who Killed the KLF? Now, uh, if you've got a few miles on you like me, you may remember the KLF as this, this kind of weird, ambient rave band who, you know, they'd work with Extreme Noise Terror and Tammy Wynette. Nobody understood them. They were completely baffling. And they suddenly, they just said, we're done, completely disappeared. 
deleted their back catalogue, including it's like a half a dozen number one singles around the world. They were huge and they just went, we're gone. That's it. And you know they've turned up and done some weird art projects since. And this is the first major documentary about what they did and what happened to them and why they made the decisions they did to just go, this music thing is done. And even if you've never heard of the KLF, this is a great documentary about a wild period of a massively successful band who, again, broke all the rules. I mean, they did everything themselves, They, including ripping off ABBA. They basically, their first single was basically just Dancing Queen with some extra samples. And they're like, we don't care. <laughs> Back when music was fewer lawyers, it seemed, about samples. That is a fantastic documentary. That is a super eclectic mix of films, and that's just sort of a smattering of what's available at Fantastic Fest. We just have a little bit of time left, but I wanted to ask you about Fantastic Fest at Home, which is, as you said, it starts October 1st. It's another, I think, 10 days of online streaming. Tell us a little bit about that and the service that it's available on. It's actually going to be available just through the Alamo at Home. It's their ordinary streaming platform. And this is a really great way if you're not comfortable going to see films in the cinema at the moment, which a lot of people still aren't. This is a great way to get that part of the festival experience. They piloted it last year with their online celebration of Fantastic Fest. This is much bigger. And like I said, there's, you, know, you can watch individual titles. It's going to be a selection of around 30 of this year's films. Like I said, not the big one. So don't think you're going to get a, an early March on watching Titan, which will actually be opening in early October. But it's very definitely a great way to sample the festival at home across those 10 days. And there's going to be some really great titles in that. So that's a really good opportunity to feel like you're at Fantastic Fest from your own couch. All right. Well, thank you so much, Richard. That's given people a taste of what to get excited about and to investigate it a little bit more themselves. Thanks for coming on. Genuine pleasure as always. And thank you to our listeners for caring about the show enough to tune in and for caring about Co-op Radio's role in our community. We're in the final weekend of the fall membership drive, and now is the time to signal your support by making a one-time donation or better yet, becoming a sustaining member. Make that call now, 512-472-5667. That's 512-472-KOOP. Or just hop online to koop.org and look for the donate button. Our guests today have been Mike Clark Madison and Richard Whitaker. Our engineers were Bob Daly and Andrew Solon. And our theme music was written by Kevin Curtin and Jonas Wilson. We'll see you next week.